Hello? Oi, cheery old, old chap. Hi, Gary. Rob, I'm in London. Yeah, I kind of figured. Hey, do you hear that? That is old Ben. <laughs> Gary, you mean Big Ben. No, Rob, it's old Ben. Everything here is old, but the fish and chips, amazing. Wait, wait a minute. How did you get to London so fast? Rob, it's a hot air balloon. You ever heard of it? And guess what? This one had rocket thrusters. All right, where are you staying? Rob, I'm crashing with Jake Hicks, the Jesuit of gels. We're going out on the town later. All right, so what's your idea? Idea for what? I'm just here on holiday, Rob. That's what they call it. Hey, Jake, save me a seat. God bless the queen! Welcome to the RGG EDU podcast, where Rob and Gary talk and drink with your favorite photographers. So grab yourself a cold sarsaparilla and saddle up. In this episode, we're sitting down with Jared Ivey, the senior tech rep at Sigma. And this is the first episode where we're interviewing a company and have a company on the show. I know, it's cool. We're going to get to talk about how they develop products, what they look for, and their relationship with photographers, which is cool because we rely on companies like Sigma so heavily. And those are the dulcet tones of Rob Grimm's voice. I'm here as always, everyone. I'm Gary Martin. You're listening to the RGG EDU Photography Podcast. Jared, thank you so much for coming to, to kind of give us the, a background on Sigma. I know I'm curious kind of where Sigma started and to where it's at today. Um, I, we love your lenses. We use quite a bit of your lenses in our studio. So I, I'm interested to kind of start with the beginning years of Sigma and kind of how you guys got to where you're at today. Sure. Well, thank you guys for having me. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Sigma started back in 1961. Um, there's a gentleman by the name of Michihiro Yamaki, um, who was an optical designer. And he, he's actually the person who invented teleconverters. He invented, hmm. he invented the first uh, two times teleconverter. Oh, cool. um, he started with a small shop, you know, and hired a, a few people to, you know, to make these teleconverters, and then eventually branched out into making, uh, making lenses, you know, for, for some of the contemporary cameras at the time. Um, when he when he expanded big enough where he actually needed a factory, um, he looked around different parts of Japan, um, looking for property, and, and uh, landed on a, a really cool spot in a kind of in the, the countryside in a, in a mountain town called Aizu, Japan. Um, the reason why he picked that location was um, because it was a farming community, uh, but they were really driven. They had a really really strong work ethic, and because it was in the mountains, they obviously needed something to do in the winter time. So they were very welcome to to having um, to having a, a, a company start a factory there. Uh, and that's exactly where it's the same ground where, where Sigma is today. You know, they've obviously gotten bigger, mm-hmm. um, but they've always stayed at that, at that same location. Through the years, Sigma did um, have a lot of innovative products. It was the first company to invent a uh, wide-angle zoom lens, um, and then more recently come out with the first company, the, or the company to come out with the first um, 1.8 zooms, as well as uh, some customizable accessories. Um, in what year is this back when, uh, 1961, 1961. Yeah. So that, that was the first year of Sigma. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So Sigma has been around for almost 60 years. So what, what was his background to get into, you know, how does someone just come up with a teleconverter, <laughs> you know, like what, what, what do you have um, to study or, you know, uh, beyond just being an optical engineer and working for other companies. And I don't know who, who those companies were. I don't know much about, much yeah. about that gentleman. Yeah. So is he still around? No, no, oh. he. But he did. He ran the company until he till he passed uh, about five years ago. Oh, okay. At which point his son took over, um, and it's actually not that long after he 
that his son took over that Sigma announced that they wanted to re-engineer the entire the entire line. Um, and that's when they came out with the Global Vision line of lenses. They were originally kind of the value lens company, right? In many correct, ways. correct. I mean, th- throughout the years, they did have some some really great lenses, um, uh, you know, here and there. But but overall, you know, they were always you know kind of marked as a, as a value brand, and and Sigma realized that too. Um, and it, that's you know when after digital had eclipsed film as far as resolution goes, they realized that they really needed to. Um, kind of step up the game, mm-hmm. if you will, to be able to to stay in it. So um, they wanted to switch from being a value brand to being a quality brand, and um, it was something that they were that they really that they could do. Um, you know, for give a little bit more history on Sigma. You know, when the yen was really strong in the in the '90s, where a lot of manufacturers switched uh, a lot of their production to factories overseas. Um, Sigma, being the family company that they were. Um, they didn't want to lay off, you know, all the people that, that they had that they had hired and, and had you know supported this community for many years. So they they weathered the storm, um, and they they definitely took a hit. But again, being a, a privately held, family owned company, um, you know, they could do that. But it was to their advantage because you know you fast forward to um, you know 2012, and they were able to um, having everything done in house focus on on quality um because Sig- sigma does not outsource anything to any other any other companies um they make every component 100 of the components are everything made is made in-house they stamp out their own aperture blades they machine their own screws everything wow. is done in-house from beginning to end um research and development design um quality control so having that vertically integrated um production line uh, pr- production system allows them to make changes when they need to, but at the same time, be able to ensure that they have a, a consistent um, quality product. You know, they don't have a lot of, of variation when it comes to you know the elements and the, and the housings. So, do you think that's why they were able to really change their public image? Because it's so hard for a company to change almost its reputation. It's like a restaurant. When a restaurant isn't that good, it's almost easier for the owner to close it, open up under a new name, the same <laughs> restaurant. You know. But it's a different name, and boom, they can be off to the races. Uh, I think I think turning around a company like that is is a difficult thing to do for many. Uh, they seem to have done it very well. Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, it was it was an uphill, you know, an uphill um, journey. Um, you know, when Sigma announced that they wanted to re-engineer everything that they and they came out with the new categories of lenses, art, contemporary sports. Right. You know, there were a lot of people that were very um, very skeptical that that thought that this was just kind of a marketing ploy. But once that first 35 millimeter 1.4 art lens came out, people were really impressed. Mm-hmm. But you know they Pretty wanted nice. to see more. And then when they came out with the um, with the 50 art and came out with the 24 to 105, the 18 to 35, and you know after they had uh, you know half a dozen lenses or so under their belt, and it, it got to be you know the the, the view of the brand mm-hmm. definitely started to to shift um, to the point where. By the time, you know, about two years ago, by the time, you know, we announced that an 85 was going to come out or 150 to 600, you know, we have two versions of that, the sport and the contemporary. When those lenses were coming out, people were pre-ordering them and buying them before even, before even testing them because the reputation of the art, the art and the sport lenses have become so strong. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So let's back up into like, you know, the 80s and 90s. What was the main product line of Sigma? What was... What was being sold? Um, a lot of a lot of zoom lenses. Um, they did an, a fair number of primes, but a lot of zoom lenses. Um, 
it was kind of all over the board. I mean, they did make some very, very unique focal lengths throughout the years where you really didn't see that that from from other manufacturers, which is something that's carried on until today. You know, you see that you know, typically when somebody buys a Sigma lens now, um, they're buying it usually for one of three reasons. It's it's either um, it performs as well as uh, lenses from other manufacturers, but comes in at a lower price point, um, or it outperforms other lenses at being the same price or coming in at a lower price point. Or the third one is the fact that other manufacturers just don't make the same lens. So Sigma did a lot of um, of unique focal lengths as well as making lenses for other manufacturers too, a lot of whom uh, aren't around anymore. And were they making cameras back then as well? Or uh, somewhat of a recent... No, they, they, they were making uh, film cameras back in the 90s. And that's when it started? Yes. Nice. Yeah, and then uh, and that was actually... That was the dream of um, Michihiro Yamaki was to be a camera manufacturer. You know, so when the digital um, digital revolution came about, um, that's when he became very interested in the Foveon yeah. um, technology, and then eventually bought Foveon. Yeah, you know, they they licensed it for a little while. We're buying the sensors from them, and then bought the company uh, a little over ten years ago. The digital revolution. <laughs> the seventies got the hippies, and it was like the sex and rock and roll movement. We got digital. Yeah, it's kind of depressing. I'm a little bitter about that. You were born at the wrong time, uh, buddy. I think I was. <laughs> I do like texting, though. <laughs> All right, so let's let's fast forward a little bit more to today. How do you guys come up with you know the R and D like in, in coming up with a new lens? Like, what does that look like, and how long does that take? That's got to take forever. Um, as far as the R and D goes, you know, Sigma has always been very good at listening to what to what photographers need. Um, you know, and one thing that is unique about Sigma is that they're one of the few manufacturers that only focus on photography. You, know, you have um, other manufacturers that make printers or medical imaging things, or or they make they do make lenses, but they're also making lenses for, let's say, like CCTV or cell phones. Right. And every product that Sigma makes is strictly for photography. Um, so they listen they listen to photographers. You know, I I don't know how they gather their data. Um, from the photographers, but I do know that in the U.S., you know, all of the all the tech reps, everyone on the um, in the field, you know, we have to submit reports weekly that um, you know of of customer feedback, what we hear in the market, what people say, and then you know that that kind of get filtered filtered up to uh, you know to the higher ups in the U.S. That eventually goes back to Japan. You know, one of the things I'm really interested from a lens manufacturer's point of view. And maybe I'm wrong about this, but I feel like a lot of the understanding of lenses has been lost since the digital revolution, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I don't think photographers have a real understanding of how the glass is made, how the, glassings are, the glass is put together in the groupings. Um, I don't even know if they test lenses much anymore the way, like, I, at least I did when I started, where, you, you know, you'd get a lens and you would really put that thing through testing to see if, where the sweet spot was, where it was aligned, where it was not. Um, what are photographers doing now? Are you seeing them testing lenses and really understanding how they're made? Um, there is a small segment of the market that understands how it's yeah. made. Um, there are a lot of people that also show up, you know, to uh, to demos that we're at, and you know, they ask to see, you know, MTF charts and how many lenses are in how many groups. And um, to be quite honest, most of them that doesn't really translate, right. <laughs> you know, to to what it. it for a long time, I think, you know, the amount of glass elements definitely um, had 
something to do with the quality of lens, but sometimes you can actually, depending on the design, you can, you know, reduce the amount of lenses and still get as good or, or better quality. You know, one of the things that Sigma has done recently is utilizing aspherical lens elements, mm-hmm. you know, which in the past was mainly used to correct for, for distortion. Um, you know, and, and now we're using it to, to take the place of, of some other lenses where it may have taken two or three or four elements to not only correct for distortion, but also reduce the amount of ghosting and flaring. Um, but, um, you've been able to use again, one, one element that used to do the job of, of three or four. So for our audience who might not understand like the real technical side of how a lens works, like me, can you give a, can you give them a, a rundown of what's happening inside of a lens? What are those properties? Um, so basically lens, lens, the, the, Light is just getting, you know, bent um, as it goes through each each element. Each element does have its own job. It's like a fish um, concert. The, <laughs> um, the the glass elements that that you know, as a marketing um, from a marketing standpoint, that you kind of focus on are the um, one the spherical lens elements, like I was telling you, that that not only correct for um, for distortion, but also for ghosting and flaring. But we also have um, a lot of low dispersion glass. Uh, low dispersion meaning, um, you know, it, it bends all uh, wavelengths of light at the same angle. Because if, if you think of a prism, when light hits a prism, it divides. Oh, well, actually, it doesn't divide, but that's just the natural um, angle at which each of those wavelengths of light right. bends. So when you see things like chromatic aberration, that's what's happening is that all of those um, all the points of light are not hitting the sensor exactly the same spot. You know, most of them might be hitting one spot, but then you have, you know, um, you know, red, you know, is hitting one side or like, you know, violent or, right, or it's cyan literally exiting the glass at a slightly different place than the, the light next to it. Correct. Correct. So, um, you know, so we utilize, uh, three different levels of low dispersion glass, you know, our standard low dispersion glass is what we call RULD or ultra low dispersion. Next level would be our SLD or our super low dispersion. And then the, the highest level, um, is, is interesting. It's called our FLD glass and F stands for F low dispersion. F is kind of a, a nod towards fluorite. Um, but it's not exactly fluorite, so, so we don't fluorite? claim fluorite. So fluorite, um, it's in my it's toothpaste, a, right? <laughs> it's a it's a crystal that um, that is actually has that naturally occurs, and it has the probably the the, the um, least light dispersion characteristic of any other um, material that we, that we know of. And Canon back in the seventies was able to um, replicate this in a factory setting. You'll be able to use this fluorite crystal. So Canon was the first one to actually use fluorite, um, but but Sigma was able to to start using a material that has the same characteristics as fluorite, but it doesn't weigh as much and it costs quite a bit less. Um, so having the same characteristics, but not being fluorite, um, is this a, so something you FLD. can talk about, or is it a secret? Is no, it that's like, is it like the KFC recipe? It's locked away. <laughs> in the that's somewhere. well, what I've told you is extent of my knowledge oh. of it <laughs> uh, how it's made I, I i don't know um but uh you know i'm sure if they if i was privy to that information i'm sure they'd yeah. make me yeah. how many different things so. go into the actual glass it's not just heated sand you're not grabbing play sand from the home depot and melting it down right yeah no it's not all glass <laughs> and and what's what's funny is a lot of people think that you know manufacturers make all their own glass and and it was it was kind of a, a perception that a lot of people thought that like the Major camera manufacturers made all their own glass, but all the third-party manufacturers, um, 
you know, just bought theirs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but the truth is Quite most the of the glass that's used in, in, in any lens, um, most of that glass is bought, um, you know, from optical manufacturers in Japan. Um, I know Hoya's is one of the bigger ones. Um, but if you actually look at, you know, they have these huge catalogs of all these raw pieces of glass that have all, you know, different specs, different sizes, different characteristics. And a lens um, designer, an optical designer, will look through this huge catalog and, and kind of look, okay, well, I, I want to get this and this and this. So they get, you know, a lot of, it could, it could be using the same raw material, but when the manufacturer gets the gets that material and then the way that they coat that it. they cut it, the way that they grind it, the way that they polish it, the way that they coat it gives it their own unique you know, their own unique look and characteristic. Am I correct in saying that you guys won or, or got the highest, if not one of the highest DXO mark scores? Is that a correct, yeah. Is, is yeah. that is that kind of what you guys look for is like the best award to get or like what else do you guys Consider to be a, a great compliment or achievement. You know, I think from the highest level, they're not they they take a lot of pride. Sigma does take a lot of pride. It, it is still a family owned, privately held company. The uh, owner and CEO now is the son of the of the founder. You know, and, and he he grew up in the factory. He became an optical designer himself. He he you know knows what what goes into this. Um, so a lot of it is is pride and just making the highest level quality of yeah. of product that they that they possibly can. Um, here in the U.S., we were very, very pleased when, when we found out that we'd gotten the highest rating the DXL mark has ever handed out for the 85 millimeter. Yeah, the, was that um, the one four? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So why wasn't it a one two? Canon has the one two, right? Right. Nikon, they are also the one two. Correct. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, Nikon has a one four. They have a one. Their 85 is one four. So well, what's the process of like one two to one four? Like, um. Well, you, there's there's going to be a lot more glass, you know, and the the wider the aperture, the more difficult it is to keep um, the entire plane of of um, uh, the focal plane in in sharp focus, you know, from edge to edge. Um, but at one point two, at eighty five millimeters, the depth of field is so razor thin that if yeah. you're doing a headshot, you know, you could focus on an eyelash and the pupil might. Depending on how close you are, people might be out of focus. But yeah, yeah. You know, but let's say that you know, for instance, because the eighty-five is such a, a popular portrait lens, a lot of people that do headshots are are, are you know, getting in close. If you do focus on their eye, by the time you you know you, you um, press the shutter button, your subject could have moved, and if they move a quarter of an inch or half an inch, you know your your yeah. focus could be out. So most people aren't shooting those kind of shots wide open. So also being if you able... tilt the lens too. If a lot of people focus in the middle and then they'll pitch the lens down to reframe it and that changes the actual distance. Correct. Yeah. So there's not a lot of wiggle room to no. get to, to nail sharp focus. Um, so being able to give up, you know, that it from from going from one two to one four was there's was not a need for minimal. it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, really. So Canon um, so Canon messed up. It went too far. It took it too far. It's just bragging well, rights. That's all it is. It's bragging yeah. rights for him. And, and well, I, I think a lot of people look and they're like, oh, this one's 1.2 one, instead of 1.4. So at the most basic level, like from a consumer standpoint, you're like, oh, this is 1.2. It's better. And no, not really. Do you really need that? Yeah. I mean, it, I, I've, I've been taking pictures for, for over 20 years, and I'm a Canon shooter, and I only shot Canon glass up until, until, I, I, um, until about six years ago. Um, you know, and I, I'm familiar with that 85-1.2, and it was a beautiful lens. Um, you know, but when I would shoot portraits, you know, I'm stopping down to, you know, 2, 2.2. Yeah, because you just don't want to blow sure. focus. Yeah, exactly. 
So what's next with the, uh, the, the art line? What's, what's on the horizon? Um, Sigma's very tight-lipped about, you know, about what they're planning. Um, you know, I, <laughs> what I did bring with me in the studio today is um, the newest lens that was just announced um, recently. It's the 14 to 24. Oh, yeah. uh, it's a 2.8. Um, you know, a lot of people... That's uh, a nice gift. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we do. We do, uh, we do appreciate, appreciate that. that. That was yeah. really sweet of you. You really went out of your way. Yeah. I, I need. I, I need this job. I need to <laughs> that will be coming back with me. Um, yeah, Sigma came out with a twelve to twenty four f4 last year, and that was the third uh, generation of their ultra wide zoom. And um, it was, it was. It's amazing in the fact that at twelve millimeters, it's rectilinear, so there's no distortion. Um, you know, so it's it's great for landscape architecture shooters, but there was still that the you know the the, the photojournalists, the astrophotographers, um, VR photographers, anyone using you know multicam setups, underwater photographers that just the f four was just not enough. It's not something that they can, you know, the boosting the ISO you know one stop is is really going to do for them. A lot of them really wanted that you know that that wider aperture. Um, so this lens really fills. You know, fills that need. It's also coming at a lower price point too, at, at uh, twelve ninety nine street price, um, and it's got a few other cool features too. In the fact that it um, it's fully weather sealed, which is is the um, you know one of the uh, uh, qualities of our our sport line of lenses is that um, you know you can shoot with those in the elements. You can shoot in a uh, in rain for a prolonged period of time, and that's actually something you can do with this with this lens as well. Yeah, you know we. We've always shot on Canon for our tutorials that we that we make um, on the uh, you know, uh, C100s and C300s, and we had always used Canon's L series line of, of glass. And as we grew, we had to keep adding more and more angles to what we were doing, backup and second unit cameras. And as you guys started coming out with the you know the art line, it was like, man, these are better and they're way cheaper. Yeah. And so we have kind of slowly been phasing uh, those L series out and just replacing them with. Uh, Sigma glass, which is which is gorgeous. Now we're at the level of uh, we've rented quite a, a few times your uh, cine lenses, which are absolutely beautiful. Can we talk about those a little bit and how those sure. kind of came came about? Yeah, yeah. The, you, know, um, you know, with the art line of lenses, we were finding that a lot of videographers were um, were shooting with these, and then finding that the cine industry were t- were buying them and having them modified, um, you know, to be able to use. So. Um, Sigma did a lot of. They were very careful with their research and development with with the Cine line, and they re, they reached out to a lot of people in the uh, in the industry, you know, to, to find out, you know, what what makes a good Cine lens. You know, not as far as the optical design, that's it's everything else. Um, but what they did is they actually kept the same optical design as the art lenses, but just put them into a, a cinema housing, um, which is funny because a lot of people, you know, like, oh, so it's just rehoused. There's a lot more to it than that. You know, I. The optical design is the same, um, you know, but when you, there's a lot, the level of um, precision in the manufacturing yeah. is much, much higher. It, you it know. takes quite a bit of a, a different process to get the T-stop in the, instead of an F-stop, right? Correct. Yeah. Because the T-stop is actually measuring light transmission, you can know. You, and, can you walk us through the other like requirements it takes to, to be able to put a T-stop on your lens? Um, yeah. I, as far as the design goes, I, I don't know that much about it. it it but it is it is something where um it has to be well th- that was one of the first things when you when they were modifying the dslr lenses you know because they're all electronic apertures actually you know being able to 
to just manually be able to, to control the aperture. Um, it has a much um, longer rotation than what the movement inside the DSLR lenses were, you know, that had the auto aperture. Um, but again, it's, it's not like a mathematical formula like an f-stop is. It's, it's actually a light transmission. Um, and one of the, 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 the nice things about the, the, Cine, the Sigma Cine lenses is that the, uh, the light transmission um, at like 1.2, or I'm sorry, 1.5 is indeed 1.5 because they, you know, yeah, they, they actually yeah, measure yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I also heard, and this might not be uh, correct, but in order to get a, a T-stop, it has to be manually inspected. Correct. So that just adds to why it's a little, you know, more expensive and quite a bit more time-consuming to produce. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Um, that the um, the rotation of the the zoom ring, the focus ring, you know, those those have to be uh, quite a bit longer than what the um, the DSLR lenses are. Uh, but again, they have to be smooth. They have to be gradual. Um, you know, that was something that they that they looked at, and then and then small things too, as far as you know, the, the distance of the the pitch and the the, the geared rings, um, you know, being able to have a, a constant um, outer diameter so that matte boxes fit on them, you know, kind of, of uniformly. Why can't uh, all the lens companies get on the same page and, you know, if you go right, it zooms in? Because <laughs> coming from Canon, I'm like, shit, it's backwards. Ah, but no, because I'm trying to, like, reprogram my brain to to work with uh, the art series lenses, and it's backwards. I'm like, oh, damn it. They all you don't know. have their own stamp. No. Yeah. It's the same as Nikon, though. Nikon's backwards from Canon, Canon correct? Right. Yeah, depending on what, which way you look at it. Yeah, the other one's backwards. <laughs> um, but it, what, well, what's unique with Sigma is like it, that, that we actually don't go one way or the other on, on purpose. It's whatever makes sense for that design, because there are some lenses that actually rotate the, the opposite direction oh, really? than the majority of them, yeah. Please don't ask me which ones. <laughs> but, which but ones and why? Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I don't know. Why would they? What would determine it to make more sense for it to go the other way as opposed I, to – I think it's, it's probably placement of cams and, and you know, other gearing inside there. Of In, which, which direction? Yeah, internally, yeah. which direction it's going gonna, it's gonna to move. So what's the limit on innovation in lenses? Is there any? I mean, it's, it's amazing where they've come since digital has become a factor. Um, I'm just really curious as where the future of lenses is going to go. Uh, that's a great question, you know, and if I could answer that, then you'd be, a rich be around <laughs> for a really long time. Um, well, because the resolution keeps just keeps going up and up and up and up, um, that's where imperfections of older lenses start, you know, becoming more apart, prominent. Yeah. You know, that's when you see that lenses quite aren't, you know, lenses that were, that were just tack sharp back when, you know, when 35 millimeter film was used or, or even when you had, you know, six megapixel, 10, 12 megapixel cameras, you know, a lot of those lenses don't appear sh as sharp as they were when you get up to 50 megapixels. Um, the same thing with chromatic aberration. Um, you know, those, that resolution is just not forgiving when it comes to, you know, to, um, to all of that. So, um, you know, one of the things that you keep hearing, well, about you guys, I keep hearing, you know, future proof, you know, you want to you right. know, buy something now that's going to, it's going to last you quite a bit. This, the lens that you have now may be fine for the resolution of the camera that you own now, but you know, when you buy a lens, that's a, it's a quality glass is a good investment, you know, because the lens is going to last, it's going to be, um, usable a lot longer than, than, what the, body. than yeah. the body is. I mean, because they're electronic they're you know, if you get a body that's going to last you, um, more than three or four years, you know, you're, you're, you're lucky. And after two or three years to have the thing repaired, you know, it's it, because the value of the cameras have gone down, 
you know, it's just it's beyond economic repair. You can have it repaired, but you know, you might as well take that money and invest it in a, to newer technology. Whereas a lens, you know, you could go many years without having to have, you know, if, as long as you don't drop it, um, you know, you could go many years without having to have it adjusted, um, you know, or, or fixed. And when you do, it's it's usually not at the same um, the same rate as as what what a camera body would be depending again on the on the problem with it I mean, if you break quite a few elements and you chop it off a cliff it, it's gonna it's gonna yeah render repair. Useless. But, <laughs> but for what most people you know when they damage their their equipment you know you could be looking at 150 or 200 dollars repair on a lens that's four or five years old that you maybe spent you know fifteen hundred dollars for but that lens is going to last you another five or six years and also the resale value of lenses you know lenses that people yeah, bought higher. You know, because like for instance, our, our 35 millimeter lens, you know, using that one as a, uh, as a reference, because it was the first art lens that we came out with, it's still at the same price point it was now as it was in 2012. And, you know, when people sell them used there, it's not much less than what you're going to find them for brand yeah. new. Yeah. Whereas you, you buy a camera body in 2012 and try to sell it used now for 20% less. It's not it's not going to fly. Do you guys pay attention to what the competition is doing or is Sigma really concentrated on just what it's doing and not? Not paying attention to the others. I'm sure they pay attention to them, but it's it's not something is like oh we got to do that or oh right. we got to beat them in that. Um, and you see that in in um, a lot of the more the innovative products that they're making. You know, like the 18 to 35 1.8 zoom and the 50 to 100 1.8. You know, they weren't trying to beat anybody else. They weren't trying to make something better than than what other people were manu- manufacturing. That was something that they saw that the market. Uh, uh, a need that the market needed to be fulfilled and, and, and they came out with that. Do you guys have a mirrorless line or coming out with one? So right now we do have um, five lenses uh, for Micro Four Thirds and the Sony E-mount uh, APS-C size. Uh, as far as full-frame Sony, we have a, an adapter called MC11 adapter, which um, it's a Canon to um, Sony adapter that when used with any of our global vision lenses, so which is anything in our contemporary art or sports line, um, which is anything that's been released from 2012 forward, if you use any of those lenses with the Sony bodies, you actually get full autofocus uh, and aperture control in every mode of the of the Sony camera, where the other adapters on the market, um, that's that's you, where they you fail. You lose that. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you use it in the most basic, in the auto mode. It's yeah. okay, but you start to get to like live view or movie mode or yeah. eye focus, you know, and you and you start to lose. Yeah. So as a brand that makes lenses for pop, very popular lenses for Canon and Nikon, are they starting to sweat a little bit now that people are using your lenses for their cameras? Still tricky, I, tricky I, question. Yeah, that is. <laughs> I don't want to get you in trouble. <laughs> that, that is a tricky question. Um, could they could they I, potentially like force you to stop making lenses for their camera bodies if if you know it gets to the point where they're losing money on lenses? You know what I mean? Like, um, I, I I don't believe they can actually they, they can yeah. force us um, as far as 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 you know the the legality of. So there's no like licensing for a, a for Canon a mount. mount or a Nikon mount that has to go through like some sort of relationship or. You know, I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I uh, when you get to to that level in Japan, all those manufacturers, um, you know, I'm I'm sure that there is some some talking and handshaking going on, but I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what what all is involved. It's fascinating, though. I want to know these questions. You know, yeah. the answers to these questions because yeah. the inner workings are pretty interesting. Yeah. Do all the CEOs of these companies just like hang out and go 
golf in Japan? They friends? <laughs> yeah. Do they golf in Japan? I, I don't know, but I've been to... Golf is big in Japan. I know. I've, been, Japan. I've been to some of the bigger shows where, like, our CEO is there, and then, you know, CEOs or some higher executives from other other companies have come over, and, you know, they talk. They, they know each other. So yeah. to what level they, um, they yeah. hang out, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Let's shift gears a little bit. What's your history? How did you wind up at Sigma? Where did, where did you kind of come through? Uh, so I've been in photography since I was 12. Um, you know, I, I uh, took a, a class through Parks and Recreation. You know, it was black and white photography for teens. And, and I was just, I was fascinated by the whole process, you know. And I, I was really, But it wasn't really... for you. You were only 12. How yeah. you, how, how <laughs> oh, okay. Well, so prior to 12, I watched a lot of TV. And, uh, you know, I, my, my parents were, were really kind of looking to, to get me to a hobby. You were ahead of the curve. They, 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 the curve. they. You know, they got me a saxophone when I was like ten, and that didn't stick. And you know, a few other things. Just, I had you that know, same but, problem. Saxophone did not stick. You know, but it was big at that time. The eighties. You know, yeah. it was huge. But yeah. you know, not not for me. Um, but uh, as soon as I as soon as I you know developed my first roll of film and, and process an image, it was you know I was sold. I, I absolutely loved it, um, and I knew that, that that that's what I wanted to do. Um, I went to school for photography. Um, you know, I focused on on advertising. Um, and, uh, you know, I, it's funny, it, it went from graduating school and it, it's, it's kind of like owning a truck and, um, everybody that, um, that, you know, asked you to move, you know, you, you have a camera <laughs> yeah. and everyone's uh, okay, can you shoot this, can analogy. you shoot that? Yeah. Um, and you know, even though I was, I was shooting a lot of architecture and, um, uh, product photography, I was, um, you know, being asked to do weddings and, Oh, can you shoot this? And can you shoot that? And, and, um, you know, at the same time I was, I was a rental and repair manager for a, a camera store, um, in Southern California. And it just, it, it, it wasn't hitting it for me anymore. You know, I, I, photography was not what I, what I thought it was going to be. Um, and, uh, I, didn't really fall into the job of Sigma, but it just, you know, happened to be at the right place, right time talking to somebody that they were looking for somebody that kind of had my skill set in Southern California. Um, and what I loved about it was the fact that I got access to all of this equipment and I got to test all the equipment and, you know, my shooting assignments were, were pretty well open. You know, I can go shoot whatever I want, you know, as long it was, it was a cool assignment that, you know, here, take this 17 to 70 variable aperture lens and see what you can get out of it. You know, see if you can do this, you can do that. Um, yeah, so it was a lot of fun and awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, with the ride with Sigma after the, the global vision line, you know, it's been, it's been very, very exciting. Um, you know, I get to travel quite a bit. Um, I love helping people. I love teaching. I teach a lot of workshops and classes, um, you know, educate people about photography. Um, you know, even though I, you know, I don't claim to be a portrait photographer or a sports photographer or a wildlife photographer or a macro photographer. I know how to do all that stuff because of my background. Um, and when people come to me at demos, you know, and they, they say that like, you know, Hey, I just got a camera, you know, I've been shooting, I wanted to get better with my portraits or I want to shoot weddings now, or I hey, am going to go on a safari. You know, I get to find out, you know, what, what it is that they're using now, what they want, you know, their, their photographs to be and see how I can help them, you know, execute their, their vision. How do you educate photographers about your equipment? Um, first it starts with the question that they ask, but, but for the most part, it's, it's really just getting them to, to try this stuff. Um, you know, some people, people that understand focal lengths, it's a lot easier to talk to, but you know, you, you get people that really don't know that, you know, that 
the, the difference in perspective when it comes to wide angle versus normal versus telephoto lenses. Mm-hmm. So, so having to educate them, starting with that, you know, and if it takes, you know, taking some sample shots with their camera and different lenses, you know, right there and show them, um, you know, that's, that's really where it begins. Um, but as far as people that are really looking for, um, you know, sharp focus, um, you know, looking for, for, you know, minimal coma flare, depending what, whatever their, their, um, whatever type of photography that they're doing, whatever their current lenses aren't doing now for them, you know, guide them, you know, guide them that direction. Um, but it really comes down to them just, just trying the equipment. You know, when we do uh, a lot of workshops or classes, one of the biggest things is us bringing lenses. You know, to like, I'll, I'll teach a portrait class, you know, we'll bring a couple of cases of lenses for different cameras, you know, and, you know, demonstrate how to do, you know, one, two, and three point lighting, talk a little bit about posing, but then, you know, 75% of the class is going to be them using these lenses on their cameras, hands-on teaching them how, you know, what they're doing right, what they're, what they could be improving upon, but, you know, letting them go home and see the quality on their computer at home when they go through their workflow. Um, and then when they see that they can get this level of quality at, at such a reasonable price, it's, it pretty much sells itself. How many different lenses do you guys make in all? Between forty and fifty, right now, it's wow. a lot. Yeah. yeah. What's your favorite, or what's the what's your favorite, and also the best-selling lens you guys have? Um, my favorite would be the twenty-four to one hundred and five f four. Um, you know, just because for me, it's it it's as wide as I'm going to need. It gets just as telephoto as what I what you know what I need um, because I travel a lot because I have two little kids. It's just a yeah. very versatile lens yeah. that I and for being you know, f four. I can get a great portrait shooting at 105 at f4 as long as the background's far enough back from, you know, from um, where my subject is, uh, and it's just the thing is just a, it's a solid, yeah. sharp lens, you know, all the way through. Um, as far as the best selling, yeah, I, I I would have to look at the at the. the I would assume it's the 85. 85. I would I would too. 50 or the 85. So yes. the 50 has always probably been one of the most popular lenses. Um, you know, it is also, as far as the primes go, one of the most versatile, especially because the 50 for the longest time was the sharpest 50, you know, from any manufacturer. Um, you know, but you can't also, you know, so you, we're, we're sitting here talking about, you know, professional photographers or photographers that are shooting at that level. We, we can't forget about, um, you know, how many consumers are using like the, the all-in-one sure. Zooms, yeah. like the 18 to 300 is a really popular one, the, the 150 to 600. Um you know, it's amazing how many people it are. Boggles are my mind. Those kinds of numbers <laughs> boggle my mind in so many ways. Yeah. It's bottled your mind. No, it boggles it's it. Bottled your mind. I'm saying it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I want to talk a little bit about you guys have brand ambassadors and people that kind of represent and go out and shoot for Sigma. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you guys build that relationship? Because a lot of our audience, you know, it's kind of one of their goals is to to work with a brand, become a brand ambassador, and 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 kind of help. I don't, I don't know, represent that company. So what do you guys look right. for in, in that process? Um, I'm not involved in that process. So I don't know exactly how they go about meeting people, but I do know that, so we kind of have two levels right now. We have our Sigma Pro program, um, which are established professionals that, that um, you know, that use our gear. Um, some had, had been using, you know, Sigma exclusively for a long time and then, and then came on board with us. And other people had used one or two Sigma lenses, um, you know, but just had, you know, great work. And, um, you know, we kind of outfitted them with, with a few more. Um, but, uh, and then at the, the next level would be, um, our ambassador program. Um, you know, and I think that those, the pros are, they, they all write blogs for us. Uh, but the pros are going to be more 
at the um, at the uh, in person public stage, you know, at the, at the larger trade shows and, and working, you're doing like large workshops. The ambassadors, um, I believe, uh, aside from doing, you know, from blogs, uh, is a lot more social media based. Um, you know, but what I do, I do get a lot of people asking, you know, how can I be sponsored by Sigma? How can I, the things that they look for are um, one people that that actually have a legitimate website. You know, then you can, you know, not not just MySpace doesn't count. Anymore. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, they they definitely have to have a really good grasp, not only a technical knowledge of photography, but just how the how the market works in general, um, and especially of their their focus of photography. Um, they have to be working professionals. Um, you know, at, in this day and in age, unfortunately, a uh, social media following is 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 definitely uh a requirement a factor yeah. now as far as how many you know i don't think that there's actual a a certain level or certain number that they have to hit but just the fact that they even have one they have a presence on social media at all um is is kind of a deal but they they, they definitely look for people that are um not just good at what they do but but you know more innovative they're doing you know thinking a little bit outside the box with their work you know i mean if you look at you know there's a there's so there's, many photographers. Yeah, there's 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 thousands and thousands of, of portrait photographers that do beautiful, beautiful work. But when you get to the level of of um, you know just being innovative and, and seeing stuff you know from photographers that, that that stick out from others, which is really tough to do, you know, in, in this in this market. Um, you know, we look for people like that, and then also being able to um, to be good teachers, you know, and speakers because they that's you know that's that's what they're doing. They're they're representing the Sigma brand and they need to talk about the equipment as well. So get your teaching game on point and you got to have at least five followers to be considered. <laughs> no, no, you got to have nine. 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 Uh, at least threshold. nine. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jared, thank you so much for stopping by. Um, this was actually an awesome conversation. Yeah, this is really interesting. It, this went way better than I thought it would. Way better. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys were yawning and, and, and uh, doing shots and I walked in. No. <laughs> well, good. Well, thank you very much for having me, guys. This is this has been a lot of fun. Yeah, yes, absolutely. So, if you're in the market for a lens and you have a Canon, Nikon, uh, or a Sigma camera, consider checking it out. Where can people test your uh, lenses before they make a decision? Um, most camera stores. Yeah, yeah. Most camera stores carry our equipment. Uh, if you go to sigmaphoto.com, uh, we actually have. Uh, there's a lot of cool resources there. We have a lot of of um, Blogs and uh, uh, we have blogs on different different types of photography. How to you know better tips and tricks. We also have um, what we call a Sigma Lounge, which you which customers can actually upload their images to. Um, you know we actually feature different photographers. Um, you know and we have like Sigma fans that we feature on on our website as well. Um, Do you want people to call but, you directly? You want to no. give out your cell phone? <laughs> <laughs> Five 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 eight six seven five three zero nine. Well, awesome! Uh, thank you again so much. It was great uh, having this chat, uh, and we look forward to seeing what you're going to do with cine lenses more. Um, we're really excited about that. We love the shit out of those. So, uh, and we love the price point. Thank you for making a zoom cine lens that's not thirty thousand dollars. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> it's about time someone did that. Jesus. So, Rob, that's it. thanks for coming. We really where can people find us? Oh, man, they can find us on MySpace. Yep. <laughs> they can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and the Google. Yes. To download this episode and this entire season, season six at WPPI, you can go to rggedupodcast.com. You can also check out 
what we do with documentary film on well-known photographers at rggedu.com. Thanks so much. Well, that's a little she wrote for this one. See you next time. In the meantime, check out rggedu.com for the best in photography education. For those of you who might not know what we're doing on Black Friday, should we tell them? No, Let's tease them. Let's give them a little idea. Let's give them a, a glimmer of hope. Okay, so at RGGEDU, we focus on revealing the secrets from working pro photographers and retouching in the industry to give you a leg up on the competition. And why is that? Is it because we believe that the best education comes from those who are working pros? Absolutely, Rob. And we believe that you shouldn't have to go to two to four year school to learn this education. No, because that's crazy expensive. It's fun, but it's crazy expensive. So we're making photography education accessible to the entire world at rggedu.com. And this Black Friday, we're doing something. We're making an offer so great that we can't even mention it. No, we can't. This This microphone would explode if I even thought about it. That's heavy. Go to rggedu.com right now, and you can sign up anywhere, and we will alert you about the Black Friday deals this November 23rd, 2018. Should we sing our jingle? Yeah. Do you finally have a jingle? rggedu.com.